The information provided on this podcast is not legal advice and is intended for the sole purpose of providing education and legal information. Laws change over time, and the information provided on this podcast may not be up to date. We make no warranty, express or implied, regarding the information provided by our team or our guests on this podcast. The information should not be construed as legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with us or any of our guests on the podcast. If you would like to consult with an attorney, please call 1-800-VICTIMS. That's 1-800-842-8467 for attorney referral contact information. This podcast provides a platform for the exchange of ideas and information to help educate crime victims on their rights. Some content will include topics and materials that may involve descriptions of violence or assaults, which can be distressing to victims and survivors. It may also impact service providers experiencing vicarious trauma. Welcome back with part two of my discussion. As as a mental health professional, can you talk about the benefits that a crime victim will experience when seeking mental health assistance in in their recovery process? Yes, yeah, I I think... Uh, you know, of course, I'm a psychologist, so I, you know, I'm mm-hmm. coming from a, of a space of, of actually, you know, being fortunate to witness folks, uh, you know, get better. Uh, but I think it's, it's much more than just getting better because, uh, you know, I think there's, there's a concept called um, uh, post-traumatic growth. Hmm. Um, yeah, and this, this idea is just really about how something unusual happens and it flips your life upside down and now there's an opportunity for you to really live the way you want to live in a safe way in a way that um, where you take what has happened learn from it and and try to move forward as best as you can that's in line with your values and goals now this doesn't mean in any way because most folks who are victims of violent crime they it, it doesn't mean anything in terms of the event being their fault or, or having to learn from it because they did something wrong. No, not at all. They, they didn't do mm-hmm. anything wrong. It was, you know, mm-hmm. The event was outside of their control. Um, right. But the idea of growth is that there's an opportunity to really address um, uh, common things that come up, like being able to really have a better quality of life, deal with the shame, the guilt that often prevents people from getting the treatment. Uh, folks that I've seen, they feel more empowered. They begin to engage in all their abilities. Like some folks, they're like, you know, I really love creating. I They take that with the, the emotions that come up from the trauma and they create with it. They make art with it. They help other people. Um, they engage in community groups and community activities, and I think they also tap into what, what has always been there, which is um, this ability to be compassionate towards themselves and towards other people who are suffering. And this is something huge because what I witness in, in, in some of these sessions is not so much that the talk therapy itself doesn't, I mean, it helps, but the real element, I think, the real ingredient is their ability to bring out that loving, that kind, compassionate way of, of being, not just with other people and their children, but be, but with themselves when they're mm-hmm. suffering. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so let's continue on our conversation of the recovery process. Um, so you talked about sort of that, that loving environment is helping with that recovery process. Is there a typical time period um, that the that, that victims go through to, to sort of heal? Or maybe you can talk a little bit about the, the, the length of time for that of that process. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and you know, and you know, I, I think that it varies for everyone. I've I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen folks who, um, you know, they dedicate a, a good, for example, like six months to uh, working through it with a therapist. I've seen some people dedicate a year. Some people dedicate longer than that. It, it really varies the timeline because, you know, what, what's what's um, I think what's beautiful about this this sort of um, the recovery process is that mm-hmm. it's not it's not just about the the trauma or what happened it's really about um, how 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 do i wish to be with people in my life how do i wish to be with my children in my life and what what, what was happening before uh, the trauma and um, and being able to really address the whole person so um, i've i've seen people you know t- take and I, I really like it, to be honest, when I hear folks say, you know what, I'm going to dedicate uh, this next year to two years just to my health and my recovery. Um, because I think, it, you know, it, it's a thing where we, we really have to attend to it. Now, it, PTSD mm. or traumatic symptoms is a, is a chronic condition. So that means that, you know, sometimes, a lot of times when we get treatment for it and support for it, it will get better for sure. And many beautiful things come out of that. And it's chronic, meaning that in the future it may get re-triggered. It may come back mm. up again. And this is just the nature of, I think, just us as, as human beings. You know, just human beings, we get re-triggered, and that's okay. You know? Yeah, sure. No, that makes sense. Perhaps you could uh, talk to our audience, and actually to me, about maybe the difference between a- acute and-, and chronic. I know you touched on chronic, but perhaps you could maybe expand on that. What's the difference between an acute symptom and a chronic symptom? A good question. Acute symptom um, is usually something that's happening. Well, in the context of trauma, actually, I should go back. In the context of trauma, um, acute symptoms or acute stress reaction, you have a lot of these expected uh, reactions to trauma. Sometimes, like for example, like flashbacks. Um, you know, uh, memories that come up with traumatic event, nightmares, um, hypervigilance. And usually that ha- that lasts for a short period of time, sometimes, for example, uh, less than a month. Mm-hmm. And then when it gets chronic, um, well, not chronic, I'm sorry, when it really turns into, symptoms turns into PTSD, then it's it's usually if the person has had it for, you know, longer than three months or so. Um, you know, the time frames are really r- around diagnosis, but the idea of acute versus chronic really is that in acute uh, symptoms, the person experiences it for maybe a few weeks in chronic, the person experiences it longer than that. And yeah. And and also when things get better, it's, it's normal that sometimes these symptoms may reoccur in the future. It may not be as intense, but it's just helpful for the person to know that it's chronic. It, it may occur again, but that's okay because the person usually knows how to deal with it. Mm, okay, that makes sense. So I do want to switch gears and, and talk to you about, um, uh, I, I know we talked a little bit about socioeconomic factors, race, culture, religion, and how that might, you know, how that can affect um, how a victim experiences trauma. What are some of the barriers that you see in certain cultures or, or communities uh, when people uh, seek mental health services? You know, I think the number one barrier is that uh, there's there's so much um, 
there's so many false beliefs about what is therapy. Um, it used mm. to be thought that therapy is, you know, for folks who have some sort of mental illness, but the, the, the real issue is that not so much around, you know, someone who sees a therapist doesn't necessarily need to have a mental illness. Um, and, and actually most folks who have gone through some sort of traumatic event, um, they're just dealing with, uh, these common, you know, reactions from the, from the traumatic event. And so, um, but I think there's these false beliefs. One false belief is that, you know, if I see a therapist, that means I'm crazy. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and, sure. Yeah, and, you know, my, well, first of all, it's, it's like, you know, no, there's a difference between serious mental health, uh, you know, and there's, and, and crazy, the word crazy itself is just, um, you know, it, it doesn't give justice to what folks who have serious mental health are going through. For example, mm -hmm. folks who have you know, schizophrenia, um, it, it really, the reality is, you know, a lot of folks suffer mentally and they just need help and that's okay to have therapy. And another false belief is that, oh, and, and along the same lines of, of, you know, this idea of like, oh, I mean, people may think I'm crazy or I may be crazy if I see a therapist. Is, along the same line is that, um, you know, actually, the, in, at least in my opinion, is that we all as human beings have some sort of trauma, um, and, mm -hmm. and that doesn't make us crazy. <laughs> you know, actually, sure. right? Actually, the opposite is true. If some, you know, folks who work through trauma, they become actually much more uh, compassionate and are able to actually help other people. So that's the beauty of, of this. And another false belief is that I'm, I'm, you know, I may be weak or I can't handle it myself, or you know, people will think I'm self-centered if I go to therapy. And the, actually, the opposite is true: is that folks who are less self-centered and and courageous are able to actually go and talk about what is really scary. So I, I hope for folks who are listening, they have a new belief. If you, if anyone does have this, you know, I hope there's a new belief that really seeking out support and, and therapy, if it's indicated, is really about taking care of myself. It's a growing, it's a self-development, and I'm really turning trauma into growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think you um, sort of summed it up nicely when you said it's, it's taking care of oneself, right? I mean, if someone had a, a physical, uh, you know, mental, uh, I'm sorry, a physical sort of infirmity or if someone was sick sort of physically you know you obviously go to a doctor or, or the hospital right so why should it be different if you you know have a something that you can't see or can't touch right right exactly but that's you know i like what you said something that you can't see and you can't touch this is the the really the biggest issue is that these symptoms come up in our body and it comes up in our mind and <clears throat> the the thoughts that come up, the narratives that come up is it's, you can't see it, but sometimes even the person who is experiencing it, they're, they're in the symptoms. So I kind of think of this as like a bubble, like if a bubble of a flashback or a symptom is happening in the mind, the person themselves, they they are in the bubble. So they cannot see mm -hmm. the bubble. Mm, interesting. Right. If, but with the right support, the person comes <clears throat> outside of the bubble and they begin to see the bubble and they're like, ah, that's not me. That's a symptom. Got it. No, it's very, very interesting the, the way that you put that. 
Um, how do crime victims get in contact with a, a trauma-informed mental health provider? You know, there, there are many resources um, available. Most of them are, of course, online. Um, and um, I, you know, I, I use a multitude of, of resources. Um, I, I like, you know, actually I have a network of folks who um, are in California because, you know, we're you know, housed here, but there's a California Psychological Association. Some folks may need um, support with medications if that's indicated. There's the California Psychiatric Association. Um, there's the Marriage and Family Association. So a lot of these organizations, <clears throat> they have trauma-informed providers. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there's uh, psychologytoday.com, which I use often to help link up folks. Um, and, and you know, I think that's that's really important to ask if a therapist is has a trauma-informed background because um, I, I think that's a it, it does take some specialty to to work with this population to support them. And uh, Dr. Ramazani, what would you say is is the biggest barrier um, that folks fa- uh, face when it comes to getting treatment? You know, I, I think there. Um, I think one of the cha- there's many challenges, but I think one of the challenges that comes up is I think shame and guilt, and it's it's you know you, we kind of talk, touched on it briefly, but I think it's helpful to expand on it because you know when we're feeling shame and when we're feeling guilt, you know shame is like this really um, heavy. Everyone experiences differently, but this heavy feeling that comes up that really underneath this feeling is this belief that that I am I am wrong like what me as a person um, is bad it and it's it just kind of prevents someone from seeking out because shame makes the person feel isolated too not just mm-hmm. like not just sad and hopeless but really isolated from people and um, and it, and why would someone reach out to another person like a therapist when they're already feeling isolated and they already feel like they're they're a bad person because they've gone through this this horrific event that really you know is not their fault um so i think shame is something that's really worth recognizing when we experiencing when we're having that emotion come up we all Mm -hmm. have it right we all experience shame we all experience guilt And, and i think when if we're able to say you know what oh gosh like I feel shame and the way it feels in my body, like for example, with me, when I feel ashamed, like I feel that heaviness in my chest and my gut, and I'm like, oh my God, I am like not gonna do anything right now. <laughs> you mm-hmm, know, I'm sure. just yeah. Yeah. stay in my room. But then when I when I when I'm in that feeling, I'm like, wait a minute, this is actually not me. This is this is not who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, oh, I'm actually feeling shame. Okay, and now I could be kind to to myself just for just for experiencing this emotion and that 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 recognition is important because that helps me to then seek out some support um you were going to say something sorry oh no i was going to say i think that shame and guilt is sort of a universal emotion i think that you know all people can 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 uh, understand you know what that feeling is like yeah yeah and you know it's, it's supposed to be like the purpose of shame is supposed to be for us to reevaluate things and reexamine things so that we can be more, you know, productive and supportive in our life. Um, but, you know, when we're experiencing, I think it's important to 
just recognize it and then come out of it and then engage in life, you know, and seek out, for sure. example, yeah, seek out a, a therapist. But I think, you know, another thing, another barrier is um, some folks just may not have the financial ability to um, actually get a therapist or a someone who can support them. And, you know, there are many resources. Of course, there are, you know, multiple uh, victims of crime resource centers. Mm-hmm. And I, I really encourage people to reach out to these centers so that they get the right support. There's actually state funding that supports it. Um, and for folks who, you know, may not have the resources or don't want to go through the state funded programs, um, there's, you know, uh, Medi-Cal and Medicare. And then some folks have other insurances. And so insurance also covers therapy and behavioral health services. So, but the challenge is not so much folks having the, 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 the source sometimes or the resource, but the challenge is making that effort because some, I encourage folks to really dedicate at least a month, just mm-hmm. one month, just to reach out and say, okay, I'm going to call the Victims of Crime Resource Center. I'm going to call this uh, state program. I'm going to call my insurance. I'm going to call a list of therapists on you know, this website. There's many websites that give you a list of therapists. And I'm going to keep trying. It's not easy, I think, at least from where we're at. It's not easy to find a therapist, but people can do it, and it's, it is doable. But it's really dedicating the time to reach out and, and tell your story and, and find the right fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a, another barrier is um, some some cultures and in some uh, communities, the it the person wants to be compliant wants to show that they're okay they may even minimize their own suffering and so when they actually you know when they take advantage of a let's say a state program or a therapist and they're there in therapy they may minimize what really is happening not intentionally but because mm-hmm. of cultural and, and, and religious sometimes even religious factors and i encourage folks to know that therapy is a gift that you're giving to yourself Hmm, and interesting. yeah, it, it's really a gift you're giving to yourself and it's your space and your time and everything is confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to, you don't have to do that. Whatever comes to your mind, this is the, that's the right space to be in to, to tell that the, the therapist. Interesting. No, I, I, I like how you phrased that. Um, so you talked about two things from a financial standpoint. You talked about there are programs that are state funded and you also talked about insurance. Uh, is insurance widely accepted by mental health professionals? It's a good question. Uh, insurance, um, you know, in terms of insurance is accepted by mental health care professionals. Um, there are some behavioral health care providers, some psychologists and some psychiatrists that do not accept insurance. So that, that becomes a barrier, of course, to some folks who have the insurance. Um, so it really depends on the person's um, financial uh, background. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, for the most part in California, it, most therapists do accept insurance. And uh, Dr. Ramazani, how does uh, one go about finding a, a mental health uh, service provider? Could you maybe walk us through that process? Sure. Yeah, I'll be happy to walk you through. Um, there's there's a, a few resources. Um, one resource is the California Victim Compensation, uh, and this is um, you can go to this by uh, going to uh, https colon forward slash forward slash victims dot 
ca.gov. Okay, yeah, and, and I, I just went ahead and, and accessed it. Great, great. So you're on the you know first page, and on that first page, you should see um, different options. It says apply for victim compensation. That's for the person who had experienced the the, um, the situation, the traumatic event. So if the person hasn't received this, then they could apply for it through that link. Then another option is if the person has already applied and they have uh, have been approved, then they could go to another link, which is called Find Local Help. Okay. And and then there's another option, a third option, that's really the provider portal. Now, this one is for therapists who want to um, uh, be approved by California Victims Compensation to be reimbursed uh, or to be approved to provide, uh, authorized to provide therapy services for uh, for victims. Um, so, so, you know, if you're the client right now, you're listening, uh, what you can do is you can also go to a, a therapist and see if they can actually apply to be um, authorized to be paid by the California Victim Compensation Board. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where they would go. Okay. And uh, if, if someone wants to find sort of a specific um, provider or, or look into the different resources that are available, are there any options um, for folks? Yes. Yeah, there are. There's, um, I, I like using, um, there's two websites that I'll share with you. Mm -hmm. And I was going to just share um, one last thing with Cal um, Victims of uh, Victims of Crime Compensation. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, Cal VCB. Uh, the number that you can call uh, is 1 800 777 9229. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, I like using uh, Psychology Today because um, you just, when you go there, you can just put in your zip code and it'll help you with get a list of therapists. And we could do it right now. Okay. So you would go to www.psychologytoday.com. Mm -hmm. And I should I should say I don't have any affiliation with uh, a business relationship with. Um, sure. oh, I'm not getting you know any, uh, you know, commissions or anything. Commissions, right? Or right. Sure. I understand. <laughs> sure. Um, but uh, so when you go to the website, it says um, find a therapist, and then you just put in your zip code. Mm -hmm. So I'll put it in right now. Here in this area, mm -hmm. and once you put in your zip code and you hit enter. And then you, um, on the top of the page, depending on your browser, sometimes it's on the top of the page, sometimes it's on the left side of the page, but there are these options for um, things like the issue you want to work with, the insurance you have, mm -hmm. if you have a gender preference of a therapist. Types of therapy. And types of therapy, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah, I see and, so, and so for folks... Um, you know, I what I usually do is I go directly to the insurance. So I mm -hmm. click on insurance. Yeah. And then you can select um, show more insurance, the mm -hmm. blue link. And it really shows you all of the insurances around that zip code. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes some folks look at this and they're like, wait, you know, my insurance is not on here. Um, for example, if you have Medi-Cal, um, Medicaid, Medicare, um, then what you may want to do is there's a, if you see, look at the zip code, there's a plus button next to the zip code. 
mm-hmm. and you can just click on that to expand the search. Mm, I and, see that. And you could, yeah, I do see that. See how it says like miles or right, widen, widen it to yeah a specific distance. Yeah, so I just I just try to widen it as much as possible. Now, what's amazing about you know what's happening right now is that most uh, actually most therapists in California are able to do telehealth. So you're not really limited to your uh, zip code. Your geographical area, yeah. Exactly. So sometimes you could even just search with um, any zip code and just widen it or just hit California, and then um, you could you know, look at different insurance and the, and the type of therapy and so forth you want. That's great. Dr. Ramazani, thank you so much for your time and uh, coming on the podcast here uh, with us today. You're welcome. It was great to be here. Now that you've heard the show, please take a moment to rate and review it. And if you have any questions about any of the information you heard today, you can reach the Victims of Crime Resource Center at 1-800-842-8467. Or you can reach us online at 1-800-VICTIMS.org or Facebook at Victims of Crime Resource Center or Twitter at 1-800-VICTIMS. If you haven't had a chance, please take a look at some of the other episodes in our series. Thanks for listening.